morning. It's nice to see all of you. Um, I have to make a quick joke. Um, this is probably the highest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little dizzy up here um, for more reasons than one. Um, so as we begin, um, let us read Genesis chapter 13 together. So Abram went up from Egypt into the Negev. He took his wife and all his possessions with him, as well as Lot. Now Abram was very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold, and he journeyed from place to place, from the Negev as far as Bethel. He returned to the place where he had pitched his tent at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. This was the place where he had first built the altar, and there Abram worshipped the Lord. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the land could not support them while they were living side by side. Because their possessions were so great, they were not able to live alongside one another. So there were quarrels between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Now the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land at that time. Abram said to Lot, let there be no quarreling between you and me, me and you and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself now from me. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. But if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw the whole region of the Jordan. He noticed that all of it was well watered before the Lord obliterated Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, all the way to Zohar. Lot chose for himself the whole region of the Jordan and traveled toward the east. So the relatives separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, but Lot settled among the cities of the Jordan plain and pitched his tents next to, the, next to Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were extremely wicked rebels against the Lord. After Lot had departed, the Lord said to Abram, look from the place where you stand to the north, south, east, and west. I will give you the land that you see to you and your, de your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to count the dust of the earth, then your descendants also can be counted. Get up and walk throughout the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live by the oaks of Mamre, in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. As our custom, let's take a moment to prepare ourselves to hear the word. So as we get, begin, uh, just to recap where we've been, um, as we heard from Mike last week, Abram got the call, the blessing of the Lord, from telling him that he would uh, be a blessing among the peoples now and yet to come, and that he would have a great big family, um, and that family would be a blessing among the peoples of the world. And as we heard last week, even though he's heard this blessing, he goes to Egypt in the middle of a famine and seeks refuge and sustenance from that land 
And in doing so, he lies to the Pharaoh about his wife, Sarai, asking her, my words, throwing her under the bus, to uh, be his sister and not his wife. Um, and in this causing uh, Pharaoh to get into quite some trouble with the Lord and wreaking some havoc in his own family. However, because of God's faithfulness, not necessarily to Abram, but to himself and his own promise and blessing, he uses this for his own glory and Abram's and Lot's good because they leave this place in Egypt with greater stuff than they had actually entered into. And so at the beginning of the chapter, we find him leaving Egypt with a lot of stuff, along with Lot and his families, and they're going back to the place where they literally have been before the blessing. And so he returns to an altar that he has already built and worships the Lord there, and the Lord receives his worship, um, which I find interesting of note. Um, the Lord receives his worship. Um, again, I want to highlight throughout this um, sermon that it is the Lord's faithfulness to Abram that is of note, and then Abram's response to that continual faithfulness and blessing. And I want us to see how that um, inspires increasing faithfulness, and I would add courage to Abram throughout this passage. However, conflict arises quickly. Um, conflict, strife, bitter complaining between the people taking care of Abram's herds stuff and Lot's herds stuff because of the land and the resources needed to maintain all of these things. And so um, I wonder, as we have been encouraged by Mike to do, is we read these stories alongside the people of Israel, if they took note of this. And I wonder when they were hearing this story alongside their own journeys, but the word used for strife or conflict or bitter complaining is the word meribah, which should possibly sound familiar to us as it's used in Exodus 17 when the Israelites come to the place there as they're wandering through the wilderness and they're thirsty and needing resources from the land and they start bitterly complaining against the Lord and against Moses uh, because they're thirsty demanding that they be given water in the desert which at the time there seems to be no water available and so they're wanting water. And this brings Moses to great frustration, and he goes before the Lord to ask for help in resolving this issue. And the Lord tells him to speak to the rock. But in his frustration, Moses strikes the rock. It does produce water for the people. However, because of the people's bitter complaining and Moses' anger, there are consequences to this in that we know None of these people at the time are allowed to enter the promised land, neither the people nor Moses himself. However, I want to point out again, it doesn't result in the Lord negating his promise or his blessing to this people, but there were consequences to their complaining and to Moses' anger. Abram, 
was not willing that there be lasting tension between he and Lot and the rest of their communities. I read a commentator who said that it would be expected of an elder in the family to promote the peace of the family, and so it would be reasonable that Abram would be looking for a way to keep the peace. And so suggesting that they separate could have been a reasonable response in this situation. However, what would not have been necessarily expected of the culture of the day is that Abram would not take the first choice of the land. He gives this to Lot. And I would like, again, to propose building faithfulness and courage in the Lord's blessing and promises to him potentially gives him that ability to make that suggestion. And so he proposes that Lot pick the area of land that he would want to take and that they separate for the good of their relationship and the people and their animals. In this place, I'm reminded of a phrase that Mike has used before in previous sermons, is that people matter more than things. And that there are so many examples in history of where people have made things matter more. And it has resulted in bitter conflict, which are wars between countries, feuds between people groups, and estrangements within families. People have tried to maintain things or power or influence or popularity at the cost of people. So Abraham, Abram gives Lot the first choice of the land. And I want to say and note this um, comment that on slide one, please, that those who believe in the promise of God's provision may be generous there with their possessions, but those who are greedy, anxious, or covetousness have not understood the nature of God's covenant. Now, I got to tell you, as I was thinking about this this morning, I was really struggling with this um, quote. I almost took it out um, because the truth of the matter is, is that I often am greedy, anxious, and covetousness. I don't remember the promise of God's provision in relation to how I live my life. And so the same can be said of all of us. So this quote felt potentially unnecessarily heavy to me, but I wanted to leave it in because it illustrates the point that I'm trying to make, which is Abram was being generous with the choice that he gave to Lot in choosing the land. So I left it in, but I wanted to make that caveat and not let it be an unnecessary burden, but to remind us all that any given day and moment in time, we are acting from a place that we don't remember, but to call us to remember that we can be reminded in of ourselves and to each other that God has blessed us to the point that we can be consistently generous, fearlessly. So the other thing as we move back is I want to highlight that Lot looks with his eyes, as it says in the scripture, at the land around him in verse 10, and makes his choice 
based on what he sees, a fertile and well-watered valley. Then it says, after Lot has departed, God tells Abraham, or Abram, sorry, to look in verse 14. And God goes on to remind Abram once again of the promise that he has already made to him to make him a blessing for the sake of the people there yet to come and to provide a land for this people, expanding on the blessing first stated in Genesis 12, 7. And as we have thought about all the ways throughout history, people have made things more important than people, resulting in bitter conflict. We are now reminded of all the ways people have made what can be seen with their eyes more important than trusting God. In keeping our vision small and singular through greed and covetousness to being completely taken in by what is seen by our eyes in fear of lack and limitation. Again, many examples of wards, feuds, and estrangements. First of my personal examples, I remember a day through, uh, three years ago now, I had been laid off from a job in a company that I had worked for for 16 years. And um, I, by the grace of God, had negotiated a good severance. However, I remember very distinctly the day receiving that check and opening up the FedEx envelope to see a number I was not prepared to see because I had forgotten about taxes. And so the number was a lot less than what I had mentally prepared for. And to say I had a meltdown is mild. Um, my mom was there and she could attest to this. Um, I did not think it was going to be enough. And of course, I did not know for how long it even needed to be enough for at the time. But I can honestly say humbly, of course, it was enough, literally, down to the last month of unemployment. It was pretty amazing. And again, I am like Abram and so grateful that he is the faithful one, that God is the faithful one. Um, for Abram, it was ultimately God who was keeping him in the stream of faithfulness uh, because of God's consistent covenant faithfulness. Abram's faith, and again, I would say courage, would build along the way with more experience. So now, slide two, please. I would like to tell you the story of how I came to be here. Uh, this is me and my mom seeing this painting, um, which is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Um, in my late 30s, which is about 15 years ago now, so this is my personal example of experiencing the long vision of God and his faithfulness to me, despite my unfaithfulness at times, I started thinking about going to the country of Finland. My mom is 100% Finnish, um, so I've heard about this place all my life. Uh, I wanted to see it, and so started thinking about that, and in the same time, I started hearing and found out about a Baltic Sea cruise. And the Baltic Sea is, uh, for those, all of me included, geographically impaired. 
um, sits in a place where there's a number of countries that uh, line it, um, all Scandinavian countries, and Finland is one of them. And it being a cruise, I thought that's a good way for me to see some countries because I have a stable, accessible place. I can, you know, move on and off the ship, see something, come back. So, and about the same time, I read this book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen, who was a priest, um, Dutch priest, and wrote a number of contemplative type books. He had an experience of seeing this painting of the same name, Return of the Prodigal Son, by a Dutch painter by the name of Rembrandt. Um, his experience, Rembrandt, of experiencing uh, Nouwen's uh, seeing it, and then also his reflections on this painting, which is lovely. Uh, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read so. It gives people the opportunity to take on the position not only of the prodigal son, the older brother, and the father. Um, as we do move through all of those different characters, I think, in our own faith journey throughout our lives. So I was quite taken by this book and became captured with the idea of wanting to see this painting. My mom happened to also read this book and was captured uh, by this uh, by this experience and this painting. I kind of talked her into this, uh, wanting to go on this uh, cruise. And so I started thinking about it, saving for it. I'm grateful that I have the ability to do that. And um, we found ourselves being able to plan and save and actually go on this trip. And so uh, we get on the boat and there's this travel guide who's, you know, an employee of the ship. And I go to this woman and I say, this is what I want to do. I want to see this painting. She gives me this book on this museum called the Hermitage, which is where this painting is housed. And I find out in this book that um, it is on the second floor of this museum, which is in St. Petersburg, Russia. So I, I have to tell you, literally, I can still feel the sinking in my heart when I found it was on the second floor. This being in Russia, I had no idea of the expectation for accessibility. And so I really had to, one, pray, Lord, please let it be accessible. Two, if it's not, help me be okay with that um, and leave it there. And so we're on this cruise and it's great. We're going, we saw nine countries in 13 days. And, um, but we get to Russia and we had worked with a travel agent before we left to make some accessible tours. And so um, a van picks us up, my mom and I, that morning. And uh, we have a wonderful, young, very uh, gifted uh, Russian art student who's gonna be our guide for the day. And on the way to this Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia, we find out that the museum is usually closed this day. However, because of the number of ships in port that day, it is only open to tours from the ships, not to the general public. So we get to the museum and um, there's a little bit of a, an issue because the front door of the museum is not accessible. And so our guide has to have conversations with the Russian staff in Russian about getting me into the museum through a side door. So that takes a little bit of time. But once we get in, um, I find very quickly that this museum is wonderfully accessible. I mean, half staircases have little lifts on them and it's not a problem. So we start off on our tour. 
And on our way, I was very emphatic, of course, to our, to our guide that this is the painting that I want to see. Everything else, great, but this is really my focus. And so uh, we get there and we're starting off. And, and I still, as I was thinking about, again, sharing the story, I don't have adequate words to tell you what it was like to be in this place, this hermitage, which is really a former palace, a winter palace, I think, of Catherine the Great. So it's an opulent, beautiful building. And we are in these rooms literally alone. And I am not kidding when I say that. I mean, alone with myself, my mom, and our tour guide, and that is it. There's a few passing you know, tour groups occasionally, but we are in this museum almost by ourselves. It is an amazing experience, and I am pretty overwhelmed by this whole thing at this point. Haven't even gotten to the painting yet. So we're going through, we go upstairs on the elevator, we're now on the second floor, we're getting closer. And I really have to tell you, I'm not a person that gets excited easily. I am of my Finnish people. We are, we are known for our stoicism. And so for me to get excited is, is, is a little unusual, but I am excited to see this painting. I've thought about it and I'm just drawn to it. And I have a flash of this brown and red coloring across the room and it's there and I can see it and we're pa passing by Da Vinci and all of these other great works of art and that's great and I'm seeing it but it's there and I want to be there and so we finally get there and we're looking at this painting and I'm seeing it exactly as Nowen has exper uh, expressed it in his book there's a window here the painting is here it's just huge and there's stuff in this painting that you literally, I, I felt like I could only literally see in person. There's another figure up in the right corner that is very hard to photograph. And so I'm just taken with that, looking at all of these things. And the window is here. And as I'm sitting here, I have this still, small, quiet voice that I sense in myself, almost audibly, but not quite that says to me, you have no idea how long I have been planning this moment. And, sorry, it still makes me emotional. You have no idea how much I love you. And I would like to say that I was completely altered at that moment. And it changed me, and it did, but it's been a very slow change to be reminded of the consistent, constant working faithfulness of God. Because, as would come to pass, less than six months later, I would experience um, an, an accident where I would fall out of my wheelchair. My leg would be broken, and it would never heal. And I complained, Merida, bitterly against God for a very long time. And um, he has been faithful through that process. So I am like Abraham, Abram, sometimes forgetting God, who is all-sufficient, timeless, and faithful. And I am so, so grateful that he does not forget me and remembers his promise to me always. So let us now return to Abram. Now we're going to move into Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. 
And this writer of Hebrews, speaking of Abram's faith, long after Abram's life, in chapter 11, which is also referred to as the faith chapter or the hall of faith, where not only Abram, but many characters in the Bible who acted in faith in response to God's faithfulness and his providing plan um, would say about Abram, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abram, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stated for, stayed for a long time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, and as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. But this isn't just about Abram and his life, as now we get to be part of it too. So now we go on to verse 10. For he looked, Abram, forward to the city that has, a found, has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now on to 13, verse 13. All of these, these being the people listed in all of this chapter who were acting in faith, died in this faith without having received the promises. But from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth for people who speak in this way, that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is, is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Can you think of it? Can you be captured by that thought that your life and my life right now as we know it, is just a part of something so much bigger, so much longer, with a lot more people than we actually know at this point in time that we will only see from a past distance at some point in time. I hope that that today builds courage in you and me and encourages us today. So now we move to Jesus. And I am going to quote, I have to say, this part is from Mike Wright, because as I was preparing this sermon, he gave this part to me, so I have to properly cite. <laughs> Jesus experienced something like Abram when he himself was in the wilderness outside of Egypt. Rather than a conflict with family, Satan came to try to convince Jesus he's not even part of God's family, not God's son. And rather than a temptation to pull rank and take the better-looking land, Jesus is tempted with immediate rule of the whole earth. This is why we call him, Jesus, the true and better Abraham. In Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, in chapter 4, four verse 8, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and says, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So on the next slide, this is a quote that I found that does, I think, reasonably and very well uh, summarize this. Satan was offering Jesus the promised land without the cross. But unlike Lot, who chose to, quote, take the money, 
Jesus chose the path of faith, obedience, and suffering before glory. In other words, as we have already read, Locke looked with his eyes to what was in front of him. Jesus was able to see the much longer, bigger, better picture. So Jesus, being the true and better Abraham, endured temptation from the devil for the joy set before him. This being referenced from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Not settling for anything with what his eyes could see on earth, but wanting to be joined with the people promised to him for the, from the beginning of time. He sat down at the right hand of the Father after telling his disciples in John chapter 14, this being the next slide, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. God is faithful to all of his covenant promises throughout scripture. He is making a people for himself, us included, and he is preparing a place for his people. In his goodness and faithfulness, he provides for us along the way places and stuff that we need. But I want, what I want to, us, to leave with us today is a renewed sense of courage and being encouraged. These years, this time has been so hard. Fires and pandemic and shootings and isolation and loneliness and floods and injuries and unemployment issues and money issues and all of these things. And we need to be reminded today to look to God, to ask and receive his vision for what is real and for what is a much bigger and longer picture full of hope and joy, so much more than we could ever imagine. Amen. So as our kids are coming back in, let me pray to wrap us up. Thanks, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word. And thank you for, you for your promises to us. And you are faithful, faithful abiding and guiding our lives and giving us everything that we need at just the right time that we need it. May you be blessed and glorified in this day and in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.